Customers love options. Bike builders like options too. When you're looking for the highest quality plug and play lighting for your V-Twin, why not make the same choice as professional builders and make the switch to electric lighting? Electric lighting is the choice of builders like Dave Perowitz and Corey Ness. Even builders like myself have made the switch to electric lighting. Electric quality isn't just quality you can see, electric quality is quality you can feel. Did I mention that electric lighting was the first manufacturer to offer a lifetime warranty on all LED turn signals? Visit your local independent motorcycle shop or online at www.namscustomcycleproducts.com. As a lifelong mechanic, I figured I'd already tried every type of hand cleaner imaginable. From mom's dish soap to dad's pumice bars. From powders to lanolin-based cleaners. I was just about to give up, say forget it, and mix up my own concoction. But then I heard about Full Bore Hand Cleaner. Full Bore isn't just another hand soap. Full Bore is a hand scrub. Full Bore is formulated right here in the USA with features like soft abrasives, skin moisturizers, and special odor eliminators. So there's no need to rewash your hands before dinner. Full Bore also has no harsh solvents, and that means there's no sticky film left behind, and Full Bore won't irritate open cuts. When you're ready to get clean, go Full Bore. Visit FullBoreClean.com and enter the code GARAGEBUILT to receive free shipping on orders over $70. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Helen Wheels GarageBuilt Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hallman. Hey, so every once in a while, something comes across my Instagram feed or somehow ends up in my visual and it really changes the way I think about things and with all the negativity that's been going on lately I wanted to share with you something that I found out was amazing so I was scrolling through Instagram the other day and uh, there was a video for a builder that was building a bike for the upcoming uh, Born Free in California that's been rescheduled to September his name is Jared Weems uh, and he's from Weems Motor Co in Tampa well, so I clicked on the video and I'm listening to this guy talking and what caught my eye was obviously the Tampa being in his uh, Instagram handle and he starts talking about building this, uh, I believe it was a 1961 or uh, it's a pre-unit chopper. I don't remember exactly what year he goes into it here in the podcast, but he was a couple uh, Triumph choppers that he had. He's a Triumph guy and you know, that means he's a glutton for punishment, uh, military vet, retired, all the requisite, you know, stuff that it really shines and, and makes him, you know, a, a good person. And then he starts talking about a charity. And as many of you know, I'm involved with the charity, uh, the show we do, the Central Florida Wheels of Steel Custom Motorcycle Show, which is going on this December 5th and 6th in downtown Lakeland at the RP Funding Center. One of my good friends, uh, Jeff G. Holt from the V-Twin Visionary, or he's the V-Twin Visionary. He's coming in to be our ambassador and MC, and kind of parse all that out for everybody. And, and, and you know, we're kind of piggybacking on his digital footprint and uh, the way he knows how to encourage people to attend things. Well, anyway, Jared Weems is talking about his favorite charity called the Forgotten Angels in Florida. And I learned something today. I learned that there are people in the foster care system that go through it and do what they call age out. And I want you to think about that for a second when you go to listen to this podcast. Uh, we don't get real heavy, but there are children in this country 
that enter into the foster care system for a number of different reasons, whether it's they've got shitty parents, their parents have shitty situations. Uh, sometimes they're just a product of, 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 a, of a bad, you know, something happens to their parents, you know. But they go into the foster care system that is monetized, and there are people that take good care of these kids, uh, but they do not make them their own kids. They get paid to care for the kids, provide for the kids, make sure there's a roof over their heads, three hots and a cot. But when they turn 18, these kids are sent away. And they're sent away with no means, no jobs, no future, no family. And there is a charity in Florida here right by my house, and I am absolutely cannot wait to have somebody from this organization come in and talk to me called the Forgotten Angels of Florida. And they provide a work-life complex for these young men that have aged out of the foster care system. And so once Jared started talking to me about this and this bike that he's building for Born Free and that he paid for out of his pocket and his time, and he's donating 100% of all of the proceeds from this raffle bike, I had to have men. So we worked it out and, you know, scheduling and what and we had him come down and uh so you'll hear there's a little bit of background noise because everyone saw someone comes in up here into the podcast studio and uh while they're working on that but i really i hope that you enjoy it i hope you listen to it i hope you share it i hope that you understand that uh there is a significant number of people in this country that need our help and we should be trying to help them in any way that we can so without further ado I give you the Helen Wheels Garage Bill podcast and Jared Weems from Weems Motor Co. Tampa. <laughs> I guess you should tell um, Jared Weems, right? That's From it. Weems Motor Co. Tampa. That's it. All right. So I was on Instagram uh, last week. So, you know, obviously being a motorcycle nerd that I am, I follow as many people as I can. And I stumbled upon your feed. I'm always amazed that, like, I feel like I know everybody. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I, that's kind of the way my my idiot brain works is where I'm from. I do know everybody like literally there's there's almost nobody that I don't know from the Detroit area. Right. And I've been down here 10 years. I've been in this business almost 20 and I'm thinking, should I know everybody? I already know everybody. <laughs> I, you know, there's like no, no hidden gems. And then I stumble on someone like you and I'm like, son of a bitch, there's a hidden gem right there. Where'd so this guy come from. Yeah. So I was looking, first thing that caught my attention was, you know, you're talking about uh, the born free build. Mm -hmm. So you're doing a born free build, but a good place to start for me would really, I mean, once I heard you say these words, I was like, I got I to gotta get this guy to get his ass over to the shop so that I can sit down with him and pick his brain because you're involved with a charity that I didn't even knew existed. There mm -hmm. is something that exists that 
and one of one of a good friend of mine is like legit adopted through an orphanage deal, right? Mm -hmm. So, what is the? Just tell me the name of of the foundation that that, that I'm that I'm talking about. Sure, it's called uh, Forgotten Angels. Forgotten and Angels. Yeah, right. there's there's many of these organizations across the the states, uh, but this one's specific for the state of Florida. So you're talking to me and you say Forgotten Angels, and I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, you have my attention, and then I didn't I didn't know that there was an economy around fostering children. It never occurred to me at all that there is an economy that orbits around fostering children. I want to disparage it. I want to start right. for, I want to start from the right side and say I did I guess I just didn't know that you got paid if you foster children. And I also, it never dawned on me, every story I've seen on 2020 or 60 Minutes or every nice little video that ends up in my Facebook feed about children uh, that are less fortunate or, you know, the lady, they show the lady somewhere in the deep south that, you know, had fostered 19 children and they mm -hmm. all call her mom and she bakes cookies and she makes sure they all have, and those are great stories. What I didn't realize is that there is a group of people that when they cycle out of this system due to age, they're on their own. Yeah. And so you started talking about this forgotten angels and I, I just, I wanted to give you an opportunity. Number one, you're a motorcycle guy. You and you know we've been talking for the last 25 minutes. Whatever. I think we're both cut from a similar cloth. Mm -hmm. um, we're we're both gluttons for punishment because we like triumphs for some unknown <laughs> fucking reason. But I wanted to give you an opportunity. I, I I need someone to tell me everything you can tell me about Forgotten Angels, and 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 we'll tie it into motorcycles later because sure. I, I we we put on a charity here and we do a, a an indoor motorcycle event which um, I want to talk to you about later here mm -hmm. in Lakeland. But I'm actually beside myself, almost angered that I didn't know this happened. Yeah, no, absolutely, it's a. Uh... Uh, it's a very unfortunate thing to really think about. I have uh, uh, quite a few friends who are involved in the, the foster care system uh, in and around the Hillsborough County, Tampa Bay area um, that bring these kids in that, you know, you know, whether their parents are from, you know, drug, you know, issues or um, mental health issues, but they just can't take care of their kids. Um, prostitution, just a lot of bad things where these kids get placed into foster care systems. And, um, you know, when you typically think about a foster care system, there's there's two camps. There's the, you know, there's the fostering, which is bringing a kid in just to take care of them, providing a home, a place to live, a safe place for them. And then you also have the, the adoption side of the house. These are the, the families who want to bring this child in to become part of their family and to have forever. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a, there's financial reward for those families who are willing to open their home to say, hey, I'll bring this kid, take care of this kid while his parents may be incarcerated or in hospitals or in rehab or anything like that, that these families say, I'll bring your kid in. Obviously, there's there's a financial toll that comes with sure. bringing a child in. Yeah, children are expensive. <laughs> yeah. I've got two of my own. <laughs> I have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, yeah. so I know what that's like. They will eat you out of house and home. Um, but yeah, so the state actually provides financial compensation for these families who bring these kids in. Um, and it's, it's not like you're making a ton of money, but there's money that is provided for these families. And, and unfortunately, a lot of these, um, I, I, not a lot, 
Unfortunately, there are some families out there that do it specifically for the financial benefit. Um, they'll bring these kids in and, you know, provide a house for them. Um, maybe they mentor the kids a little bit. Maybe they just say, hey, you can sleep here, you eat here, you go to school, and that's about it. They don't invest a whole lot into them. So what Forgotten Angels is, is um, they take these kids that have aged out of the foster system. So once a kid reaches 18 years old, they're considered an adult. That's a shitty term. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, um, I don't know if you still have both of your parents. I still have my mom. My dad passed two years ago. Same here. So it's like, okay, so that's an age out kind of thing that you expect. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine not having my dad and then aging out of something to where I don't have a mentor. I don't, and, and maybe the, some of these kids do. I'm not, I don't want to disparage yeah, it at all. No. I'm just, I'm trying to draw a parallel to the, just the visceral feeling that I get thinking about this for oh, no, one yeah, second as a former high school teacher mm-hmm. that mentored a lot of young men and, and a few girls too that came through my, I taught auto technology. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, the, that program is, you know, it, you know, there's a higher number of, of boys in that, in that, right. you know, than there is. But to think of aging out of something and that being what you age out of, age out of having parents, yeah. essentially. No, I mean, it's, well, not even just age out of ha- having parents, age out of having a roof over your head. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's a, it's a, a very unfortunate thing. So once they reach 18, the state says, you're an adult, we can no longer provide funding. So these families say, deuces, go figure it out. You know, these kids... Some of them are still in high school. Some of these kids haven't even got a diploma. They, they, some of these kids are out of high school that, you know, we're able to, to work their th- way through the system. But all of a sudden they're like, figure it out. Go live in, go live on the streets, go live in a car if you have a car and, uh, and just figure it out. So forgotten angels they're I mean, their, their database of the people that, that reach out to them, let's say they find a kid, um, who's living in their car, um, or living, you know, on the streets. Um, they, uh, people reach out to them and they, they open their arms wide open and say, Hey, look, you know, we may not have a, uh, a tiny house for you to live in right now, right. but we'll squeeze you in somewhere. We'll get you in and with a roof over your head, we'll get you some food in your belly. And, uh, man, just the overall stories that, that I hear, you know, that come from, you know, what they're doing is just really amazing. There was, um, there was this kid that was in school over in Lakeland and, uh, he was going to college over there and, um, due to his academic, um, rating, it dropped below what his tuition would cover. And he was terrified to call his parents and right. to let them know that, Hey, I've flunked out this semester. I'm on academic probation for a whole semester. And so instead of doing that, the kid lived in his car and, um, the College found him living in his car. They reached out to Forgotten Angels, and they're like, by all means, come in. We're going to take care of you, get you back on your feet, get everything right. And this kid literally said, it was like, he said, I was terrified. I didn't want to call my parents yeah. to let them know. And he said the biggest thing was, he's like, I got an eight-year-old brother, and I don't want that eight-year-old brother to know that his brother was homeless. Yeah. I, I can't, I mean, I, I just... You know, there's so many things that happen that are outside of the of the scope of what we're gifted naturally with the tools to to actually make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate to think that you know people talk about things like abject poverty and um, systemic poverty, mm-hmm. you know, generational poverty, right. 
And it's something that I really, when I was teaching high school, and it, I really, really tried to understand so that I could get inside the mindset of these children and because that's what they are mm -hmm. uh, and figure out how how do I how do I fix this? Right. Yeah, I mean, I can't fix it, but I mean, how do I how do I help how do you move help? this along? Mm -hmm. Right. And to think of it's such a visceral feeling of, of fear that I have in my gut to think of that and the things I took for granted as a as a shitty 16 year old a shitty 17 year old and the shitty things I said to my parents along mm. the way and to think that there's kids out there that don't even have that they don't even have that opportunity right, right. and they're scared to death mm -hmm. that's uh, I can't even I can't even wrap my head around it yeah no it's I mean I just I literally today I posted up on Instagram this picture of one of the kids his name is junior he's 20 years old and uh he came over to the house the other day and i just i just made it a point to open up my house my my shop my garage whatever you want to call it literally i work right. out of my garage but uh to bring bring over some of these uh you know i call them just like you said kids you know these are 18 to 22 year olds that are that are part of this organization um, and just to sit and talk with just like a real normal person, you know, like, right. I remember when I was 20, I was playing music and touring all over the world, you know, you know, living a great life and not thinking, you know, that there's people the same age as me that are, you know, they don't have a parent, they don't have a place to sleep at night. And so how can I, you know, how can I relate to this kid that's 20 years old, um, trying to figure out life, trying to get his feet on the ground, you know, and, and I just realized, you know, you got to treat them just like a normal person, man. They just want somebody to talk to, somebody to ask questions to and hang out with. I used to say all the time, um, one of the things that I found when I was teaching is that um, kids, for whatever reason, gravitated to me. And I think it was because I didn't, I didn't pull any punches with them. You know, mm -hmm. I believe in discipline. Oh, yeah. Discipline teaches, punishment hurts, right? Mm -hmm. And I used to tell the parents, don't, I'm not going to lie to your kid and your kid knows that. So don't ask me to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie to your kid for you or, right. you know, I'm not going to ever lie to your kid. There's no reason for me to. Right. Mm -hmm. But we're not raising kids. We're raising adults. I That's didn't, it. I don't baby people. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say. I'll cut you some slack. I'll go easy on you until it's time not to go easy on you. It's time not to cut slack. It's time to hold you accountable to yeah. what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I, so, I, you know, I think if we do that with kids, I will tell you that by my second year into teaching and definitely by my third, I didn't have a discipline problem one in my class mm -hmm. because I had had kids for enough years that it, it was self-mitigated. It was self-managed. Right. We created a culture around that program Absolutely. to where those kids, the older kids looked out. If I saw something going on with an under, with an underclassman, all I had to do was look at Frank and go, Hey, hey fix your buddy. Yep, and he would go right <laughs> over there with a set of set of safety glasses in his hand and go here. You need to put these on, or you need to go in the classroom. It's, right. it's you know it's one or the other. So it's a, it's a cultural building exercise. And yeah, so and I what think, you're doing is is the same thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So one thing that this world is hurting for is mentors. Um, absolutely, adults who are willing to take time away from their own thing and to mentor somebody that's coming up, whether it's, you know, whether it's a 13 year old, you know, kid that's playing video games, dad, go play video games with your kid. If that's what your kid's into, spend some time with your kid, do that. Or, you know, I got a daughter, so man, 
motorcycles and daughters are kind of weird, but you know well, what? I would tell you that they're weird until I, I introduce you to my daughter and she's <laughs> learning to run the, she is learning to run the company in third generation now. Well, that's with my daughter, man. I cannot go out to the garage to work on a bike without my daughter coming out there. And she's going to be 11 here in a couple of weeks. And I can't jump on the motorcycle, start it up without her saying, dad, can I go for a ride? And I'm like, heck yeah, you can jump on. Now that terrifies me a little bit when she gets older. You know, she's she's the one that jumps in the back seat of the Mustang and says, "Go faster." <laughs> it's like, I had yeah, and I have two daughters. One's 25. That's Shelby, and then I have Amanda who works here with me. And it's funny you mention that because when I had my Mustang, I remember trying to put my daughter in the back of the Mustang, and it was like trying to put a cat in a bathtub. The oh, older yeah. daughter. The younger daughter, I put her in the race car when I had a real race car and drove her around the block, and she just sat there looking at me with her little hands crossed, and I thought, okay, and I mashed the gas to see what she would Big do. smile. And just a grin. I was like, yeah. we've got problems. That's, and that's, so that's my daughter. I come here every day. She's here. Yeah. You know, she's she's part of the part of the, the landscape now. And, awesome. you know, it's, it's, it's really good watching her realize that when a guy comes into a bike shop, they generally are looking for another guy to talk to. Yeah. And she's it's had a stigma. to, it's a stigma, but she's had to, she's learned that she can't just be a snowflake about it. And she can't just say, well, they're not respecting me. I'm like, well, then you have to earn it. Right. You have to come at them with the same demeanor that you want to be talked to and treated. And you also, you have to know your shit. You have to know what you're talking about. Right. You can't just make it up because it, it feels <laughs> They'll good, read right, right through yeah. it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So so how do you get involved with a situation I mean, with, a, with an organization like this? I mean, so, do you trip and fall and land here yourself at some point in time in your life? Or are you, do you find out the same way I found out about it? Or does somebody say, hey, man, have you heard about this? So uh, so I, I was in the military, retired. Did what a, branch? Uh, Army. Thank you for your yep. service. Well, thank you for the paycheck because I wouldn't have done it if you didn't pay for it. <laughs> I like that answer. You're the first person that's ever given me that one. Yeah, I don't believe in that whole, you know, oh, I did it, you know, serve my country for honor. I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't have done that if you didn't get paid. So I'm, I'm just looking at it. Honest being real. About it. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I had a great time in the military. I was a parachute rigger, jumped out of an airplane 162 times, went to Iraq five times, um, special operations my whole career. I was a, a, essentially a drill sergeant for two years. So that's kind of, that really? kind of lays out the, yeah. You don't come across as uh, Nobody, that rigid. Yeah. Everybody says, man, I can't believe you were that guy. And I was like, you know what? Uh, it's just like what we're talking about. It's about treating somebody with dignity and respect. Um, you know, that, that brand new soldier, you know, whether they're 17 years old and their parents signed their life away for them to join the military or that 30 something year old dude that says, Hey, I want to figure out my life and fix it and do something worth doing. Um, I treated everybody the same, you know, whether it was a female or a male, you know, it's, it's about dignity and respect. You know, they're doing something to, to forward their point in life, you know, to go forward. Um, so that kind of in your cap too, honestly. I mean, yeah. there's a little bit of public, there's more than a little bit of public service in that. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, you know, you are, you're right. You're getting paid for it. Right. And, but the, the dividends that it pays um, down the road are the things that you learn that maybe you didn't get. Yeah. I mean, it's the same as like high school. Like yeah. to me at the time, it was the biggest waste of, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I knew what I wanted to do and it wasn't sit in a classroom. Right. Yeah. But I'm glad I did it. 
Well, that's that was me. I, I graduated high school. I was a musician, played music, toured all over the states and the world, and then um, got engaged. And uh, I was like, oh, crap, money's good in music, but there's no benefits. Uh, so I literally joined the military for a job, uh, for the benefits, and uh, it was great for me and my wife. And, uh, you know, we had two kids while we were in. Uh, but that kind of laid the, the, the foundation to answer the original question, how did I fall into this, you know, this, this organization, was uh, after I retired, um, I, uh, I uh, found out about a position through a church, uh, a position called a director of student development, and all you do is uh, teach life skill classes, things like carpentry classes, automotive skills classes, uh, we did cooking classes, first aid CPR certifications, um, and it was basically just, you know, giving life skills to I, pretty much from 11 years old to 111 years old. It was a free uh, program for anybody to come join, and, uh, and they just basically was opportunity to, um, to mentor people right. and, and basically say, hey, I'm a Christian and I'm a car mechanic. What does that look like? When I, when I, that wrench slips and I bust my knuckles against the fender well and those four letter words come flying out of my mouth, does that make me not a Christian or I am a Christian? What does that look like? What does forgiveness look like? What does grace look like in the midst of all of that? Sure. And so that was kind of where it opened this doorway of like, all right, so this is what my life looks like now. I'm no longer, you know, Sergeant First Class Weems. I'm no longer this this person. I'm now retired. I'm doing these things. And uh, in the midst of teaching these classes, um, somebody reached out and says, hey, there's this brand new organization they just started. And uh, I think you would really, you know, really should link up with them. And and just because of life and busyness at that time, I didn't have the opportunity to do it. Right. And uh, until like a year later. And when I was building this bike for, for Born Free, um, you know, I... It's, it's pretty much expunged the savings account because you're building it right out of your own pocket. And, you know, it's not a client's bike. It's, it's kind of like something you're dreamed up and doing. Um, and I was like, all right, well, you know, there's this movement of guys who are raffling bikes off just to make their money back off because you build a full-out custom bike. It's hard to find a customer that, number one, you built something they absolutely want wow. without them commissioning you to build it. Uh, and number two, to drop that kind of money on, a, you know, professionally built show bike so these guys are raffling the bikes off to get to make their money back and you win the bike for super cheap hey it's a win-win situation yeah it definitely can be yeah i mean if you can if you can sell enough tickets in that yeah but you're doing something with yours but you're yeah kinda, doing different are, are you are all of the proceeds going to so yeah so i've um so i've sat down we've talked and uh basically the uh the motorcycle that i got i received it as a gift from a friend who right. his dad passed away and he had this large collection of motorcycles and um and uh i helped the family go through there he his dad had a 56 pan head that was fully restored and um his sister was taking care of the estate she sold it for three thousand five hundred dollars for a fully restored pan head see when i hear stuff like that it's you want to kill the person that would I, do that, right? I, I want to have a conversation with the person. <laughs> Maybe not who, kill, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to have a conversation with the person who did that and say, yeah. you know Where, what you did, right? Yeah, no, it's that's wrong. And so when I found that out, I said, you know what, pause. Stop. Tell, tell your sister don't sell another Anything thing. Else. And uh, and it was this little bitty was this town. Was somewhere here in Tampa? No, this is up in Illinois. I was okay. living in Tampa. He's, he's a military friend. He was stationed here in Tampa with me. 
And uh, I said, pause. We're going to drive to Illinois to this little small town, and I'm going to help you go through everything piece by piece. And uh, he had a rather large Triumph collection. And uh, I said, you know what, Let's the, the market's not really good in Illinois for vintage bikes. I was like, let's pack it all up, bring it to Tampa. I'll systematically go through everything. Some bikes were, you know, basket cases or disassembled. I was like, we'll get everything together. Uh, so we would get the most, you know, market value out of these projects. And so I did that. I went through and, you know, I don't even know how many motorcycles. It was quite a bit. Florida is an interesting so. place to sell used parts. Um, mm-hmm. Some motorcycles that are worth oodles of cash, other places are worthless here. Right. And others that are worthless other places sell. They're not necessarily worth more here, but you can turn them faster. Yeah. There's, you know, there's more of a market. There's not an abundance. And there's... I probably know where there's three or four little, you know, places in Michigan that where there's stuff, you know, laying around. Right. Um, and part of that is due in no small part to that's where we're from originally. But, um, you know, trying to sell stuff here, it's a much different set of rules mm-hmm. than what it is other places in the country. And weird things show up here. You know, I, I'm a car guy, too, so I watch yeah. different car things. And it's like... Novas and Mavericks down here get Chevelle money, you know, where I'm, where I'm from. I love Mavericks, man. I'm I glad you Ma- said that. Yeah, Mavericks are a great car, <laughs> like right? Like grabber Maverick, yeah, like 70 like model. 70, yeah. 71 with a yeah. real thin bumper. The it thin looks bumper, like, yeah. It's like one of those little, like, little thin mustaches That's on the front. It, That's a great car. Gotta have the two little cows on the hood. Yeah, yeah the yep. grabbers. I'm also, I'm, I'm a sucker for Mustang twos, and I, and I know a lot of people are like, oof. But yeah. I just think done right, they're, they're a cool car. Yeah. Um, but trying to, getting back to, to, all of the the pieces and parts that you you sold you found you that's how you came to have the bike that you have now yeah so so i helped him through and basically you know i was trying to get the most money for the family selling selling the estate and stuff and there was one project that was left there was one bike and it was pretty butchered um and i knew that that was the least valuable and and i told him that from the get-go i was like look this one's not going to have that much value i was like I was like, we'll hold off on that one to the end to, right. to cause you know, it, it was what it, maybe we could throw it in on a deal or something like that. And so we got to the point where we had sold off all like the numbers matching, you know, the super, you know, expensive stuff. And, and it was kind of down to the pieces and parts and that bike, uh, the frame. What were the most interesting bikes that were in the collection that you saw? Oh man. Any match lists or. No, no. Know? So it was Triumph, uh, it was Triumphs and Harleys okay. uh, was what his dad was into. Uh, but it was all pre-unit uh, Triumph stuff, so right. everything. So I mean, that's that's my that's my jam right there. That's why I was like, let's let's do this. Uh, but yeah, this one ended up being um, a fifty-two five hundred, which is a speed twin, and uh, and I knew it had been you know butchered around on the frame was really junk, but I had in my kind of my stash of things. I had some some parts and things, and uh, and when we were through all of it, his there was one bike. His dad was the original owner. It was a 76 Trident, which is a three-cylinder 750. Right. And, but his dad was the original owner, man. He had all the paperwork, even had the dealer service card in it with his dad's name. Super cool stuff that you kind of hardly never come across. And he said, I want to hold on to that bike because it was my dad's. And I was like, dude, I totally get it. because That's I have, the one, too. Yeah, no, I have my dad's 66 Bonneville that I did the complete restoration on it a few years back. And I was like, that thing will never go anywhere. So he's like, I want to, he's like, I haven't rode a motorcycle since I was a kid. He's like, but I want to ride my dad's bike. And so. What year was it? Um, it was a 76. Okay, so it had a left, left side shifter in it. Yeah. 
So uh, that was the first year they switched over to left side. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he um, – um, I got I, the bike wasn't running or I, it wasn't running. We didn't know if it ran. I was right. like, you know what? Let me just go through everything, just check everything out. And it looked like his dad just done like a top end rebuild on it. You can see new gaskets and gasket filler and crap. But um, so I went through it and got the bike running. And, and man, he took took his dad's bike and he rode it for a while. Then then he quickly realized that he was riding a Triumph, which is it's gonna leak. <laughs> it's gonna you're That's gonna have tough, to maintain. Yeah. You know, it's a British bike. So. I have a good Triumph story to tell you too when you're done. Sure. About that. So yeah, he held on to that, and um, and shortly after that, I was helping him walk through some of the. We had to do title work on some of the bikes, and uh, and he was like, you know what, I want you to have that that last bike, that chopper, and I was just like, you know, I was like, I. I don't need a project. I don't need anything right now. I got, you know, I got plenty of stuff in Please my garage. Please don't give me this. Please yeah. don't give me this. And it was so butchered. And I was like, I was like, you know what? I, I, I told him, I was like, thanks, man. That's cool. And I, and I just kind of shoved it in the corner. Didn't think nothing about it. Right. And then, uh, and then came November, man. That's when, uh, Mike Davis from Born Free jumped online and says, hey, I want to do something different. I want to do an all pre-unit class at Born Free and it's open invite. And I was like, Oh, dude, I've always wanted to go to Born Free. Never been to California in my life. Really? Yeah. And uh, I was like, I was like, always wanted to go Born Free. And uh, and I was like, you know what? This My health situation is now kind of stable. My last seizure was July of last year. So I feel pretty comfortable with, you know, getting my hands dirty in the garage again, maybe doing a build. And and it, it really, uh, really kind of set a fire underneath me. Can we talk about that a little bit as far as what you were, you had mentioned when, when we came over here, we were talking. Uh, you had mentioned in the video that you did for Born Free mm -hmm. that you had had some health problems. You had some something going on upstairs. Mm -hmm. So what did you have going on? So uh, brain tumor. Uh, it was probably around 2000, late 2014 to the early 2015. I started having a lot of like uh, – really weird symptoms. Was it a benign of, or was it malignant or? Uh, it's benign, um, but I started having a lot of like extreme fatigue, um, a lot of dizziness, um, constant headaches, just craziness. And I was in the military at this point. And uh, so they started running me through the ringer of trying to figure out everything that's going on. And, and it finally got to a place where they're like, you know what, we're beyond our means. Let's get a, let's get a, MRI just to see what's going on and they did an MRI that's when they found the brain tumor um, you were still enlisted when this was still all going yep on. still in how many duty. years did you have in at this point uh, I was at about at that point uh, about 14 years I'd been yeah. at and uh, so they started trying to figure out what we're going to do um, McDill Air Force Base uh, they don't in most military bases they don't have specialized care like sure. neurologists neurosurgeons or they usually outsource off base and so they they hooked me up with a neurosurgeon uh, from University of South Florida the hospital and um, and a whole endocrinology department neurology department and started just running me through the ringer uh, of how they were going to you know attack this and how they're going to treat it and everything like that so um, it wasn't probably maybe about, I think about eight, nine months after they found it is when I started having seizures. And so, um, my first seizure was actually at work at, on the base. And, uh, um, if you know anything about seizures, you don't know a whole lot when you, yeah. as you know, the recipient of it. Um, so all I remember is coming to at the hospital 
wondering Thank what God. was yeah what Thank was Thank God going that your that part of your brain doesn't retain all of that trauma. Yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, I know that you know before it, before it happened, I was feeling really weird. I'm like something's not right. I'm I'm like I don't know. It's it's just a really kind of a it's not it's a euphoric bad feeling it's it's a bad euphoric you know okay. it's kind of like when you get like super drunk and you know that you're fixing to throw up <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, I, I don't good. know anything about that i can't comment so it's like that bad euphoric <laughs> you're like something's fixing to happen and it's not good and so that's um yeah that's about all i remember waking up in the hospital and you know and everybody telling me hey you had a seizure and i'm like okay um, just being extremely exhausted, you know, just like my body was just like I went through the ringer. So that, that was first seizure. Uh, seizure started happening after that. And basically um, the military said, hey, you know, you pack parachutes for all of these guys. Um, yeah, we can't have you doing that. You know, we're going to we're going to put you behind a desk for a little while until they figure right. out this health stuff. So they put me behind a desk and I was still having, you know, the seizures and stuff. And so they basically said, you know what, we're going to have to medically retire you. And that was a, you know, you join the military to, you know, have a job like I did. Yep. But it's, it's a tough thing to say, you know, you can't do it no more. And, I'm sure. But uh, they, I mean, they, throughout the whole process, you know, the medical retirement, I had to go through, you know, medical boards and reviewing all my records and everything. I had to take a trip up to Jacksonville to go through a military neurologist and EEG. They try to induce seizures and just all oh, the craziness. Like yeah, no, that's not cool at all. Um, but um, I had a chemical stress test this year. That's about as far as uh, the two major medical procedures that I have had done myself is this year I had a med I had a uh, chemical stress test. For that's my where heart. they induce and get your heart rate. Yeah, up. and oh, that, that was a, crazy. That, it was terrible. It's <laughs> terrifying. And the most terrifying part of it, of it is is this: you don't eat after midnight the night before. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, your my wife took the day off and she, you know, my wife is, is, she's really sweet about stuff like this. You know, if I have a cold or the flu, she's evil. Mm -hmm. You know, she won't go into the room. She's like spraying <laughs> me with Lysol, doesn't want to get sick. Um, but she's real sweet on this. She takes me there. And then you go into this waiting room and you realize, at, and I'm 47, and I probably have everyone here beat by... 30 years hmm. at the very, you know, like the next closest person to me is 30 got, years older than me. Listen, I got more gray hair than you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, this, okay. And, and then everybody, as you go through the checkpoints, you know, you're, you get to sign in and they're like, you're here for, you're here for a stress test. And I'm like, yeah, they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I went to see the doctor and the doctor said I needed to come get a stress test. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, Something, something oh, must okay. right? yeah. yeah, and so they're like, "Oh, that's not good." And I'm yeah. like, "Oh no, I don't." You know, so they You're do like, that. "Wait a second, are you all the same people exactly. that do this every, every day? day?" Right? <laughs> you have, I mean, you know, if somebody brings their motorcycle in here and it's a Harley and it's making a noise, I go, "That's going to cost you a few bucks." Yeah, I well. know what that is, right? So I'm thinking the same thing. And then the next thing is they 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 send you into the hallway and it's like the it, it looks like the waiting room from the movie Beetlejuice oh, right man. there's all these crypt keepers <laughs> along the wall these old people with pick lines in right oh, that's man. the first thing that happens is you get a pick line and then they're starting to talk to me now the patients are talking to me why are you here, are you here? what are you doing you look awfully young to be in here and i'm like yeah no shit yeah. i i think i look a lot young <laughs> yeah, like to be in here and you know they're just you know they're kind of 
I don't know if they're judging me or what, you know, and then they call me to, to get, you know, to come down the hallway and they're like calling my name and I'm like, yeah, you know, and they call my name again and I get up and I start walking and they're still calling my name. I'm like, Hey, I'm right here. They're like, Oh, Oh, we didn't. Oh, they thought you were taking 20 minutes. They're they're looking at my chart. They're looking at my chart to see how old I am. And they're like, stress test, huh? Mm. I'm like, yeah. They're like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. That's what I'm here to find out. That's what I'm here to find out. (laughs) I'm like, you know, so we sit down, she gives me the pick line. Well, I'm not, I don't have a lot of medical procedures done. I'm 47, mm-hmm. right? I've had a colonoscopy up to this point. Oh. That's that's the that's like the the major thing that I've done, right? Right. Well, so I sit down. She goes, "Okay, I'm going to put a pick line in." She puts a pick line. In. She goes, "I'm going to inject you with I don't know what it was." She goes, "And it's going to feel hot. You're, mm-hmm. It's going to you're going to feel it." And man, I feel it go right up my arm and into my heart. And all of a sudden, like that, I'm like, ugh. Oh. I don't feel good. And I have a sweatshirt on, sweatpants. You know, I'm dressed like an 80-year-old person. I'm, just, I'm not an 80-year-old person, right? Well, I start, I'm, I'm now I'm not comfortable. I'm pulling on my shirt. And she's like, are you all right? I'm like, no, no. there's something going on. She's like, so I close my eyes and lean my head back. She's like, no, 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 no. She goes, I need you to look at me, sweetheart. Oh, I need man. you to look at me. And she's doing this with her fingers, like, look oh. at me. And I'm like, I pull my sweatshirt off and I look at her. I go, go get my wife. And she doesn't. And I'm like, what is going on? She goes, and she then she goes, she goes, I need a crash card in here. Stat. Oh. Now, the last time I heard the word stat was when I was watching ER 20 years ago, right? So now I'm starting to like, now, now I'm freaking out. I'm not going to lie. Here comes this, <laughs> this gay Puerto Rican like nurse comes running. It's like, oh, you know, he grabs my legs, puts them up in the air and, you know, like, uh, happy baby style, and he's, he's like, "Everything's gonna be all right, Poppy. Everything's gonna be all right, Poppy." I'm like, "What is? Go- I need it's my wife. Not all, right. not all right, right?" And as soon as it was 20 minutes of complete mayhem, she yells for the crash card a couple more times, oh and as God. fast as it came on, it went off, and I was like, "All right, I'm you good can, now, uh, Poppy. You can let my legs go now." <laughs> and so then, and then I go through the whole process, and everybody the next time, and then I go to take the chemical stress test, and the lady that gives me the chemical stress test is not fit to be in the medical industry. I have a like a horrible bedside manner. Or? Well, a little bit, but I mean more of like not healthy. Uh, if you know what I mean, uh, like like if I'm going to a fucking cardiologist, and everybody, and you know, that's about. I think. If you're look, man, if I rode up on my motorcycle and it was janky and leaking, would you let me work on it? No. no. Okay. And this lady's like, why are, why are you getting a chemical stress test? Why are you not walking on the treadmill? I'm like, Hey, look, you so guys keep asking said, me yeah. this. There's a number on there. Call that guy. Cause I want to know what the hell I'm doing here now. Yeah. Right. And they give you that. And then your heart rate goes up and then they give you a soda and it's all over with. But, mm. and then when you, when you do the walk of shame, walking past all these 80 year old people that saw that you needed the crash cart mm. they just judge you yeah exactly like they can handle this like the old hat for them like yeah i've done this 20 times that's not cool yeah no, i i had very similar circumstances going in uh it was a little bit different because um a majority of people who suffer with epilepsy uh have severe medical conditions you know right. whether it's you know um you know, mental handicaps or whatnot. But, sure. um, yeah, so I always got the look of like, wow, you're normal. Why are you here? You know, it's kind of like what you're saying, you know, yeah. you're young. Why are you here? And I'm sitting in the waiting room. I'm looking around. I'm like, wow, these people are way worse off than what I am. Yeah, that's I'm a like, weird why? feeling. Isn't yeah. It? It's like, why am I here? You know, it's the internal reflection. It's like, oh, gosh, man, it's something's 
something's not right. Well, the definition of epilepsy is is two or more seizures with with no known trigger. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, it's a condition. It's right. not a disease, right. right? They can't put their finger on it. No, you know, that's, lots that's, of different things can that's cause the it. hardest thing too because we're as they're trying to figure out everything, they're just like, we don't know what's causing it. We don't know where it's coming from. And I mean, they knew that I had the brain tumor and everything like that. And the brain tumors, you know, it's the doctors were like, well, it's not that significant of a brain tumor. The problem is, is what it's attached to. Sure. Um, and it's attached to my pituitary gland, which excretes all of your hormones for your body. And which is right next to what's called your hypothalamus, which is your body temperature, your radiator for your body. Um, so, they kind of put two and two together. It's like, you know, well, when you get hot, that's when these symptoms start escalating. Yeah, you're overheating. And, and these symptoms start happening, and then shortly after that, you have a seizure. And so the military was like, at, before they medically retired me, they're like, you know what? We're going to um, – probably the best situation is to send you to Alaska because it's not hot there. You're in Florida, so you're having seizure. I'm like, whoa, no, I don't want to go to Alaska. I'm not a – snow kind of guy talk about treating the <laughs> symptoms not the disease well, that's, I mean, that's, no i'm just i'm not yeah. being i'm using hyperbole yeah. no, but, yeah, but i mean and, and i get what they're where they're coming I, from i mean i dude the military has been so great through the midst of i mean you hear these horror stories about the va and everything that's going on man it's it's they've been amazing through this whole process they were amazing and, for my dad yeah my and, dad died at james haley mm. and i mean to tell you Steve Jobs didn't get better care than yeah. what my dad did. Yeah, there, it's. I mean, it's a it's a great thing. So hats off to them, definitely. They they. So they ended up retiring me from the the army, uh, medically retired with a hundred percent permanent total disability, which means um, I'm getting paid for the rest of my life. Uh, and uh, so it's kind of been a, a blessing, you know, to know mm-hmm. that I don't have to worry about the financial side. I mean, it's not like I'm making a whole lot of money anyway um but uh so it's, it's, it's all enough about to pressure get by. right so it relieves pressure yeah no absolutely my wife she's she's amazing she's uh she works for for redkin and uh and works out of a salon locally and and makes great money like ridiculous amount of money for somebody that cuts hair and and i work part-time for the church doing the life skills stuff and so it's been it's been really good i went to college uh just finished up my aa degree in psychology mm-hmm. and i'm starting at usf in the fall with uh for social work which is you know kind of what i'm doing right this whole bike thing yeah so yeah it's you know i got the bike for free um I've invested a lot of money. I mean, you build bikes. You know how much Chrome costs. So I know how much cost to build it. it it's it's in- incredibly the the story I want to tell you about Triumphs is it, is it plays to that. Yeah, I mean the 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 initial cost of motorcycles is a. F- uh, a such a fine line <laughs> fraction of it's what? like a horse you can almost get somebody to give you one for yes free. exactly and especially you know old triumphs it's it been sitting in somebody's barn or garage forever and they're like just get this crap out of here but mm-hmm. the the money that it takes to get it to run much less to a show quality you know full show bike fully polished fully chromed that's a big chunk of change it's that a big it takes. difference between oh, yeah. a and b yeah so, I mean, the investment in it, you know, and, and uh, you know, that's a fraction of what, you know, these kids deserve at a Forgotten Angels, man. Yeah. I'm like, because I know how much I have invested in the motorcycle, and I know relatively what it's worth, but if I can partner with them and join hands with them to be able to promote it through not only um, my means, which is the motorcycle industry, but also their means, which is the nonprofit, you know, 
abilities to raise money that how much money that we can raise for these kids you know they have 12 acre property um just over in lithia florida and on this property they're building tiny homes for these these you know young men to live in um there's a kid the the kid that i posted the picture up uh today on instagram his name is junior he's 20 years old uh he wanted to get into uh building and repairing bicycles uh just as a, a mean of means of income so he built his own little you know shed or shop whatever you want to call it on his property um, to, uh, to be able to, to have some income for his own, start his own little business, you know? And, uh, what was great, man, this, this kid's heart, he comes from a, such a, a tough place, you know, with, you know, losing his, essentially his family being left out on the streets that there was another kid that came in. I think it was Christmas Eve. There was a kid that came in and, uh, they found him sleeping behind a dumpster at a grocery store. On Christmas Eve, they brought this kid in, and Junior said, you know what, I just built this shed to do my bicycle business out of. No, this kid can sleep there. So he pulled everything that he had in there, laid a bed down, laid a cot down, hung some pictures and things up on the wall, and said, here, you got a place to sleep tonight. And that's that's the kind of heart these kids have. A lot of people think, you know, these kids that are, you know, they're homeless or involved in, you know, drugs or yeah take the opportunities that are provided to them if we provide positive opportunities to them absolutely man them. everybody has hearts you know i i believe i believe in the good of society i mean there's just like when i was a drill sergeant i always said 95 percent of the people are going to do the right thing it's the five percent that drive you nuts sure. and, and it's the same thing in society i believe 95 percent of the people have good hearts good intentions are out to do good things it's the 5% of the criminals and all of these these people that, um, you know, are basically making everybody else's life tough. There's a lot of broken toys. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's what I look at a lot of these things as is they're broken toys. I mean, we've you got to look at it and decide if you can put it back together again and what the return. Sometimes the return on investment, you don't see it right away. That's the thing that's wonderful about a child is I probably haven't I haven't taught in Pasco County since 2013. It's 2020, right? So seven, seven years, years, right? Since the last graduating class in Pasco County, I haven't gone a week in seven years where one of those kids hasn't reached out to me in one way or another. That's awesome. And I mean, we're talking about a group of less than a hundred kids mm -hmm. overall, right? Right? Because I taught the same group of kids for for several years. Yeah, you know, built that program up, and I uh, just out of I I do desperately miss teaching from time to time. Um, especially when I have conversations like this mm -hmm. and I start thinking about kids and thinking about things that they don't, they don't necessarily have and that they may need and things that I take for granted. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, whatever, um, you know, this place requires a certain amount of attention to right. in order yeah. to, to do what it needs to do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't know that I'll ever go back to teaching, but, um, it's something that I'm very proud that I did. Not well, for myself, but for, for the fact that those kids still keep reaching out to me back. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. the, dividend, I, the dividend that I get just keeps returning and returning and returning. Well, I mean, with Forgotten Angels, man, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity for people like you. And I'm not throwing you under a bus <laughs> saying, hey, go out here and check out these kids. 
Uh, but, you know, anybody that has a passion for mentoring or investing into kids or, you know, you have a skill set that you're you're able to share with somebody to to kind of push it forward. Uh, man, they're looking for those people out there. They're looking for people, you know, to to teach a kid. There's a kid right now that's into photography. And I've, I've linked up with a good friend of mine. You probably know him, Eric Runyon. Uh, I know he, who he is. Uh, he does a lot of photographs and stuff for, uh, he works with uh, Born to Ride Media. So that's the Chopperama. Is that, uh, that he, Eric? He, yeah, he's okay. organized Chopperama. Um, so, uh, I've linked up with him and, you know, told him, I was like, Hey, there's this kid that's really into photography, man. And he just wants same thing. He's like, dude, I have this skill. If I can hang out with this kids for a couple hours and just kind of give them a couple pointers, man, you don't know what kind of relationship that builds with a kid. Just like when you're investing, you know, working in that shop class, you know, you teach the kid how to use a, you know, a grinder, an angle grinder for, you know, anything. Um, it's something that a kid will never forget, man. And it's the investment that you make into them and you build that relationship. So, you know, years down the road that that kid still has somebody to reach back to, um, you know, why would you not do that? Well, and I had, so my, the kids, I make assumptions, right? Anytime you go into a situation, you make an assumption. Mm-hmm. You, you find out that I came, I came into teaching kind of in a, in a very odd way. I had moved down here. I had started Cycle Stop USA. I was driving by one day, saw a guy uh, teaching people how to ride motorcycles to get their license. Mm -hmm. Stopped in, wanted to give him a couple cards. He said, hey, you know, would you mind talking to my students at the end of the class just about safety? Mm -hmm. So I did, and then he invited me back the next week. And so I did, and I kept going. Probably did it three or four weeks. And one of the times that I went there, there was, he had a group of people that taught motorcycle riding uh, on the motorcycles. Then he had a group of people that taught the classroom portion mm-hmm. of it. And one of the guys in the classroom was like, Hey, you should come to my, I teach high school auto shop over in Bloomingdale. You should come down there and talk to my students one day. So I took a day off and I went and spent the whole day there. Mm-hmm. Talked to all of his students. He's like, man, he goes, you should think about being a teacher. I'm like, I'm not degreed. <laughs> I don't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He goes, you don't have to be. And I was like, how's that work? And he's like, well, they, you know, each district can issue you a life work skills you know, kind of certification certification, Mm -hmm. and you take their classes and you become a certified teacher. And, and I'm like, Oh, well, that's cool. And he said, there's a T there's a school out in Pasco County that needs a teacher. So long story short, I applied for the job, got the job. And you assume that you got an, you're taking over an auto shop program. You assume first off, there's an auto shop. You assume that there's tools. You assume (laughs) that all the kids that are in the program are interested in cars. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to tell you, there was no, no, no shop. No, no, there no. was a carport. <laughs> as far as tools, it was a. There was some tools, but nothing organized. Nothing that the students had ever had in their hands. It was all locked in a closet. Mm-hmm. There were no textbooks. Everything was done online. So it was theory, theory, theory. Right, and I'm not a theory guy. Right, hands on. I'm a let's let's screw it up. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to theory, and now let's fix, fix it. it. I mean, that's how I that's okay. how I learn. So mm-hmm. that's how I taught. And so right out of the gate, you know, you have all these kids that, you know, first period, they're all sleeping. You got one or two kids that pay attention. Yeah, because they stay up until 2 o'clock in the morning. Exactly. (laughs) And they're not being parented correctly. And then you have second period, a few more kids are interested. Third period, you have all ninth graders. No one's interested. Then you get a break for lunch. And then you have your advanced students for fifth and sixth period. Then you at 2 o'clock, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like what just happened and then you do it over and over and over well it ended up going to 
uh, you know, building building blocks, right? So you start, the first thing I did was I, I got textbooks, tangible. Mm-hmm. We're going to do textbook work. Then it was, we're going to turn that carport into, we're going to go out and I taught the kids how to roll up a hose. None of them, most of them didn't know how to properly roll up a hose, properly roll up an extension cord. I was fixed to say, did you get on the extension cord? Yeah, you know, take it, spin it, you know what I mean? And so I, you know, you end up building like these, it would basically look like American Ninja Warrior, like little stations. It starts out as, what is that one that, that they have in the summertime where you get, you get knocked into the pool of water? Oh, you're talking about wipeout? Wipeout. It starts out looking like wipeout. And then bounce off the big balls. Yeah, exactly. The kids, you know, screw everything up, break everything, and then and then you start getting kids that can that it looks more like American Ninja Warrior where they can handle mm-hmm. and they've got skills and they're holding each other accountable and started building a community and I focused on teaching these young men how to be young men and teaching these young women how to be young women and then coming in the back door and teaching them reading, writing, arithmetic, mm-hmm. basic things that they they were lost on them for one way or another. So I was basically, I call it bugs bunnying. I was tricking these kids into doing math. I was tricking these kids into doing yeah. reading. I was tricking these kids into doing writing. Well, and all of those things are required. When when you work on a motorcycle, man, you, I mean. Got to be able nobody, to read a manual. N- yeah. Nobody just knows how to work on a motorcycle. You've no. got to get in and do the research, read your manuals. you got to know how your, all of your tooling and everything work. I mean, guys, if you're you're building custom motorcycles you know then, then you're bringing in mills lays you know all the all the extra you know equipment. all the extra stuff I, I was blessed because i mean i i look back at my my little town in tennessee that i was raised in with one traffic light but the high school had a shop class in it and you know and this old guy in the shop class you know he would show us the basic stuff but once i reached up to uh i think it was my uh sophomore year uh, I was able to go to a vocational school. There was, our county had like a local vocational school, and I was like, you know what? My grandfather was a was a, a machinist in the Air Force back in World War II. I was like, that sounds like super cool something to do. And I'm right. like, you know, and so I could walk into this shop classes, you know, a sophomore in high school, and see these lays and these mills and you know the, all these different machines that I've never seen before in my life. And I'm like, you're telling me I'm going to learn how to do this? And my shop, you know, my shop teacher brought out this little uh, um it was a uh, steam engine that he had built from scratch on all of those tools that were in there on the and he's like you will be why by the time you graduate you'll be able to build this what a and sales I like, pitch i was like that's and he actually started it and it ran and i was like you're telling me i'm gonna build a motor and an engine that functions and i was like sold so yeah. i mean that kind of started me off man i i Went through vocational school, got out of vocational school, got a job in a machine shop uh, in Florence, Alabama. And, I'm uh, sorry. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, you heard the song, Sweet Home Alabama talks about Muscle Shoals, which is the nearest big town. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I... The Deep South is something that's just oh, lost man, on me, man. It's, I mean, I'm, we we can't get into the discussion of what's going on in our culture right now with with the racial divide because, you know... I grew up in the in the South, and I know what that's you know what that's like and what that looks like. Um, but um, yeah, I got a job in a machine shop working. Uh, we did plastic injection molds, which was blowing my mind. I'm like, okay, all of a sudden now I can build things out of plastic, and you know, went from that did aluminum extrusion dies, um, and then uh, that's when I moved to Florida. Uh, I got a job at a machine shop over off of Nebraska. Um, 
building simulators, aircraft simulators, truck simulators, her, uh, helicopter simulators, and building pretty much from scratch, building the platforms, all the hydraulic systems, the programming. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, when I reached that level to, I mean, that type of machining is insane. You're talking, you know, government contracts and, you know, tolerances that are stupid small. Um, it it kind of develops you into a different type of machinist. You you learn to work all the machines to an expert level, and uh, and that was that was kind of a cool process for me. And uh, joined the military and kind of like, all right, well, I have the skill set, but I want to go jump out of airplanes. And so, um, great story was when I was in Virginia, I was stationed uh, just on the south side of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I had been working on motorcycles for a few years. My dad had, uh, I went on my first deployment to Iraq. I came home. My dad bought me uh, a 1975 or not 1972 Bonneville uh, as a gift. Last for, year with no oil yeah, in the frame, right? Well, that was the second year for oil and frame. Oh, that started in yeah, 71? 71. I, don't know why I thought yeah. that started in 73. Nope, it's all good. Uh, so he had bought me that as a gift for joining the military and for coming home from my first deployment to Iraq alive. Uh, and, uh, so that kind of opened me up to triumphs. But when I was in Virginia, uh, I had the amazing opportunity to work with Clay Rathburn. Uh, you probably don't recognize a few years back. He used to have atom bomb custom cycles. Um, big British guy. I mean, he's been in pretty much every magazine that you can think of, uh, with triumph builds. Uh, but I worked with him for, uh, two years while I was there. Uh, we were in the uh, Ultimate Biker Build-Off, uh, did that, and uh, did some pretty cool stuff. We, we did our own frames, did all of our own sheet metal, hand-hammered everything out, did, did the full deals. I was mostly the, the motor guy. I did the, the engines and stuff like that. Um, but to, to, to link up with somebody that, that level of fabricator, this, right. this clay, he's actually getting back into bikes this year. I believe he's building one for uh, uh, the hand-built show in Austin. Um, and, uh, and man, just to see his level of fabrication, building his own frames, um, you know, was just, it was I don't have the me. bandwidth for that. You know, I do. I love, I love the details. I love the small little things. I love the engineering mind behind it. Um, me and him did some, some off the wall stuff. We built this bike called the RVA Overlander. We took a, uh, a 750 Bonneville, I think it was like a 74 model. And we built a full chrome molly frame uh, and made an enduro out of it. And uh, I had like a, I think like a YZ250 front end. But I did a lot of the machining. We took, it was a unit Triumph motor. We took the whole front half of the motor off, machined it all completely off, just like what a pre-unit would look like. And uh, moved the f- engine forward up into the frame so it'd have a more forward center of gravity. Uh, we took the head, uh, if you know the old Bonnevilles, they have that splayed port for the intakes uh, where they kind of come out in the angles. Well, mm-hmm. we completely welded that all up, moved the carburetor so they come straight out the backside of the head, um, changed the exhaust ports out on it, made it more of a, like a Harley style with the bolt-on uh, exhaust rather than the, the slip-on. Um, and, uh, and so it was just amazing the things that we did there because we were just a, kind of a two-man shop and whatever we can think of, we could make it happen and you know just watching him make tanks um like out of aluminum he would the, right. the tank that he built was out of flat sheet of aluminum for that and it was a fully polished tank i mean if you're talking about no bondo no paint it's a solid aluminum tank and it's the same shape as a triumph tank a little bit shorter a little bit slimmer 
and uh, and just be able to do it from a flat sheet. Man, I just sit back and watch this guy work. Yeah, it's people amazing. that can work in sheet metal are. Um, uh, that's just a, such a gift. I've, I've taken a sheet metal class at Voodoo Choppers many, many moons ago, and I, I made a fender. In fact, the Triumph that I showed you that was on the cover of the horse, that I made that fender in that nice. class. Nice. And uh, Was it steel or aluminum? It was steel. Steel? Yeah. yeah. And so it was just, that's, that's something that kicks my ass, <laughs> is... Making it's two, patience, man. Yeah, and I, I don't have any. Yeah, I, I don't have any. Fucking I mean, you patience. you look at it, you're like, all right, you're just taking a hammer, beating the crap no. out of something. No, it's there's an art to it. I mean, it's they're hitting it intentionally and not overdoing it. Yeah, it's like patience to me is waiting three days for something I bought on eBay. Oh, That's man. as far as it goes. I don't have any patience. You're talking to a drill star, prior drill sergeant. So you think about how much patience I have. Very. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm I'm not a very patient person. Yeah. I've, I've learned over the last few years to be more patient. I think my health stuff is really kind of... <laughs> well, I'm getting older too, and so fewer things make me happy and fewer things make me surprised. So mm -hmm. I've learned to appreciate the weight on some things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean the things you need right now. I mean, I'm right running now. out of uh, the, the hourglass is like, you know, the sands of the hourglass or, you know, I Are see them. Talk about days diminishing. of our lives here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, seeing that, I'm seeing that go away at a considerable rate sometimes. I think it happens after 40, man. Cause I, I'm, I'm rolling up. I'll be 42 in October. Um, and you know, whether it's, whether it's just life, circumstances of life, uh, whether it's your health, your marriage, your kids, you know, just life. It, it as, a, as a husband, as a father, um, we roll with the punches. Right. And, and sometimes the punches get the better of us. And sometimes we get the better of them. And, uh, and I think that through that, we, our patience changes. You it know? does. I, mean, I have learned. more patience. Well, some days I have more patience for my kids than other days, you know, and because <laughs> my kids are 11 and 13, you're, you're, you're past that. And I'm, I'm not looking forward to te uh, to the teens and <clears throat> your my, daughter's 11. Well, she's 10 going on 20. So, yeah, so <laughs> when your daughter turns 12, that's when they get their mouth and you don't know anything and you suck. And we're, then, we're already dabbling in this. Yeah, so. well, they had their toes in the water she's, for a while, but twelve, it's done, it's cut off. She's, but she's, she's a daddy's girl. She really, and I really appreciate that. Like, you know, we'll we'll goof around. She was literally her birthday. She told me yesterday. She was like, "My birthday's in twenty-one days, Dad," and I'm like, "Huh? Well, you know what? We're uh, we're just gonna cancel your birthday this year. We're just gonna go from July fifth to July seventh, and uh, you're gonna stay ten forever." Yeah, and she was like, a great age." She was like, "No, <laughs> we're not doing that, Dad." And she's already got this whole plan laid out, you know, for, gosh, we were driving somewhere the other day. There's a, there's a, a an event building and um, they have like wedding receptions there, right. or graduations there. And we were driving by and they were having one. And she was like, she's like, oh, I want to use that when I have my baby shower. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. It's like, we miss sweet 16. We yeah. miss, we miss prom. <laughs> we miss dating. We yeah. miss marriage. We just went straight for the baby. I'm like, no, nope, you're 10 years old. Slow your roll. Slow your roll. Enjoy yeah. where you're at. Yeah, That's kids, funny. Kids are crazy, man. My, my, my son, he's, he's, he has autism. And uh, so that makes a different dynamic. High functioning or? He's high functioning. Okay, yes. so he's on the spectrum, but yeah. can still do stuff. 
Yeah, no, and, and he's a great kid. Um, you know, most of his challenges are within the um, social interaction realm, you know, well, picking up on... That's where to have him. Yeah, and, uh, and picking up on social cues and, and things like that. You know, he's, he's the typical 13-year-old boy, number one, into video games, but because of the autism, it just... Ex- like goes bigger um you know we i said earlier you know if you're going to be a dad you know be a dad spend time with your kids and something that's been something challenging for me was you know like i'm into bikes i'm into cars i'm i'm into working with my hands and tools and mechanics and stuff uh and my son's not man he, he literally says i'm an inside kid dad and <laughs> i'm like okay cool how can i you know be a dad you know not a father not a disciplinary figure but be a dad be a friend to my kid that's an inside kid and uh so over the last uh, couple of years you know i was like what video game are you into and you know he's he's into several but he's super into super smash bros and i was like oh cool i used to play smash bros when i was you know in my 20s and stuff and and so I was like, let's do this. And so, man, I just started playing video games with my kid. And, and so I got him involved in doing um, uh, tournaments. So we'll, I'll drive my kid to different cities and play this Super Smash Bros. tournament. And I love it because I'm not a sports guy. I'm like, I can appreciate sports. I played sports in high school. But um, it really sucks as a parent sitting on a soccer field or a football field, sitting there sweating to death. Man, I get to go sit in an air-conditioned building while my kid's having a ball. Yeah, we have a very different world now. You can have you can have whatever. See, the, the thing that I think conservative people seem to, it seems to be lost on people, and I'm, I'm a fairly conservative person. I'm socially liberal, fiscally conservative, although you wouldn't know by how many pairs of shoes and how many motorcycles I have, but I'm not <laughs> quite, you know. I like the idea of fiscal vices, man. Uh, conservatism, but um, you can still have that experience if you want, but you need to be pragmatic enough that you are allowing people to, you got to allow your kids to kind of evolve with the world that's evolving around them. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there has to be a, hey, you know, there has to be some limitations. Like we were vehemently opposed to video games in our house, but mm-hmm. my kids are older than yours. Right. Um, so it was... No, you're going to have it. You know, you're going to have an activity. You're going to do something, and the activity that um, that we did was was horses. And uh-huh. if you ever think for one second you want to do horses, my don't da- do anything more than lessons. Just do lessons. <laughs> like I said earlier about the motorcycle thing, somebody will give you a horse. The horse is the cheap part. Yeah, the food, taking care the of farrier, it, <laughs> floating the teeth, which I didn't even know was a thing. Well, I don't even know what that is. Either, so they so. have once a year. You got to have somebody come out with a big file and they stick in the horse's mouth and uh, file the teeth down so the teeth don't grow in. Wow. Yeah, and then you got to have a farrier come over and do like you know the it's shoes like and everything. getting the shoes and the nails done. And then we had our horse hooked its nose on the feed bucket and ripped its nose uh, off. And we had to have somebody come over and stitch, stitch that up, up and cut it off. And it's a nightmare. Dude. Yeah, that's. Uh, and you yeah. can't even eat them. Yeah. I'll stick with video games. Yeah. Video games are <laughs> way Dad, more. Dad, why is the Wi-Fi down? Relax, buddy. You need to take a break. <laughs> no, that's. I was just going to say. So there's other ways to mitigate those things yeah. while you're still not shutting somebody down. Yeah. You know, and if, you know, they're as a parent, because we're not raising kids, we're raising adults. As a parent, you have to put the brakes on some things sometimes. Oh, yeah. Hey, we Absolutely. need to take a break. Yeah. That's not what we're going to do right now. I know that's what you want to do, but that's not what we're going to do yeah. right now. And, 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 you know, the challenge of being autistic and stuff, you know, th- those those moments when we, we change the, the, the what's the norm or the routine, uh, it's it's difficult for kids with autism to, to deal with any change. Uh, so it's, you know, building... 
uh, routine is is what it is. So you know, hey, we're you're able to play video games here and here and here, uh, but outside of that, we're gonna go. You know, we're gonna go take the dog for a walk. We're gonna go. You know, we're gonna go somewhere else. And and what's uh, what's really fun is to say, hey, we're gonna have a a, a bro time. Me and you are gonna go. And then I'll take him to like Dave and Buster's, and and it's like it blows his mind because he thinks right, we're gonna yeah. go, you know, shopping, do something, or boring. Do something yeah. yeah, whatever. And then I take him to go play video games at a, you know, at a big place. And he, how, he, how does how does that go over? Because I know that sometimes uh, too much stimulation can have an, a negative effect on that. And there's a lot of stimuli in a room like that. You know, that your olfactory senses are obviously overloaded because of the food. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know. Visually, there's a lot of things going on. Yeah, I mean, so with him, that it doesn't bother him. It bothers me with with the epilepsy. So there, there's some challenging things, and and my family's kind of been super, you know, supportive and and everything. You know, even like my son playing video games, he's like, Dad, this video game says, you know, you could be susceptible if you have epilepsy. You know, because there's flashing lights and good stuff. Good looking like out, that. kid. And yeah, so they're like super looking after me. I find myself more. Um, you know, I don't know if it's from PTSD from being in Iraq five times or, or what. Like getting into those crazy social environments is it, it like like I can only take so much. Like, and it's not like I flip out like this PTSD that freaks out. It's just like, know? hey, I need to go home. You're like, I I just not I'm not cool right now. Like, I was like, I can I could take about another. 20 minutes and then we need to get out of here. I was like, and so it's the family's been, you know, super supportive through the midst of all of that. And, you know, the kids are great. I mean, I love them to death. So So you're, you're, you're diagnosed epileptic. Mm -hmm. What did they do? What is the treatment that you've gone through? So I'm actually on, you still have the tumor. I still have the tumor. Um, the, the issue with the tumor is the location. Um, the, you know, the pituitary gland is right in the center of your head um and uh normally um my my tumor's on the back left hand side of the pituitary gland if it were on the the front or on the right side it calls for immediate surgery because it could cause uh, blindness because it's right your optic nerve runs there um so basically i'm on uh mris every six months to watch what it's doing growth movement anything like that uh but i'm on 2100 milligrams a day of seizure medication which kind of sucks i feel like i'm taking a medicine cabinet worth of pills a I, I day. I like a Tegretol or? I'm on trileptal. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, the reason why I'm asking is uh, my youngest daughter was diagnosed mm-hmm. early on. Um, she actually died in my arms. Oh, dude. And uh, it was the weekend that John F. Kennedy Jr. died. Oh, and wow. so there's a few things that happen in your life, right, where you can go right back to that minute this and you know exactly what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So, um the weekend, it would have been the same weekend every year, uh, the third weekend in July, um, we would go to uh, Norwalk, Ohio for a Super Ford race. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't remember what they called it. It wasn't Super Ford, but it was it was a, it was a Mustang race for the weekend, right. you know, and it was all Fords. Like Mustang Nationals or something? Yeah, yeah I can't remember. I'll, I'll think of it. But it was through Muscle Mustangs and Fast Fords. It was at Norwalk. Norwalk. They had the True Street competition that was a class that we ran me and all my buddies and we generally take one one of us would pick we we're going to take your car this year so mm-hmm. we would all rally around your car make sure your car is ready Get to go right. that's yeah. the one we loaded up that's the one we went down there with well so uh i was working in the car sales at the time in michigan and car sales monday and thursday are late nights every other night you, the dealership closes at six monday and thursday they're open till nine close saturday sunday and uh i was working about my, the dealership I was working at was about 45 minutes from home. 
I get a phone call that Amanda had had a seizure and they were taking her by ambulance to um, the hospital uh, that was closest, not closest to the house, but the better one that was close to the house. Uh-huh. There was like, you know, we were right in between two and it was, you don't want to go over here. You want to go over here. Right. And uh, she was, she was born May 9th. This is, so this is, she's two months in two months, two weeks, something like that. Uh-huh. And so I made it from the dealership I was at to that hospital in about 38 minutes. I was just <laughs> hammered down straight. Mm-hmm. We get there, and they really don't have any answers for us. Mm-hmm. She had stopped breathing. She was turned purple. Her eyes rolled back, the whole deal. Oh, My dad had revived her, and they, you know, she was, like, kind of coughing and everything. They're like, well, maybe she was just aspirating on, mm-hmm. you know, some, on some mucus or something like that. Okay, great. Send us home. The next day, I'm supposed to get out of work early. My wife has an in-home daycare center. Mm-hmm. I get off work. I would always planned I would leave early Friday. We would load up. We'd go to Friday. We'd get to Norwalk sometime on Friday night. Party, race, party, race, come home. So I get home. I'm home mid, uh, midday, you know, noon, 1 o'clock. I'm holding Amanda, and she does it to me. Mm-hmm. I'm holding her, and she just kind of just starts – I don't know how to explain it. You know, it's I don't convulsing. I, yeah, and, that's that's the best word. I, you know, it wasn't like she wasn't shaking, but mm-hmm. then it just it started like she was aspirating again, and then nothing, nothing, nothing. Limp, purple, the whole thing. Mm. Call nine one one. I'm flipping out. We get her back to back to breathing and stuff. The ambulance comes. They're pissed at us that we didn't call them and tell them that she started breathing. I'm like, bitch, you were coming. It doesn't matter. You, you You're coming in anyway. your ass here anyways, yeah. right? So they take her by ambulance to, I, I think they took her by ambulance. I'm, I'm pretty sure my wife and Amanda went in the ambulance to the hospital again, same hospital. Well, now they're, now they're, you know, they're, there's a problem. And so long story short, they started treating her with a drug called phenobarbital, which is like the only, it's, it's the, a drug they started using in the 1800s that hasn't changed, uh-huh. but it has all kinds of negative side effects. Uh-huh. And so, um, my wife was given it was a nar- it was a heavy narcotic. My wife was supposed to give her you know this much during the day. She's just a little infant, man. She's an like, infant, like three months, months old, yeah. right? So Karen's like, I'm not giving it to her during the day. So what my wife would do is stay up all day and then get up every hour and a half all night and dose her through the night. Get her up so that she was up during the day. Right, right, yeah. And this is why, you know, like, my wife is an incredible person. Like, you know, I I know everybody's wife is, um, but I, this is what I saw. Uh-huh. So she'd get up every hour and a half and dose this kid so that the kid was up during the day with the daycare kids so that she right. could, you know, kind of get him included and get socialized and all this stuff. Well, so Christmas comes. She's still not even holding her own bottle. She's not cooing. Mm. She's not trying to make any kind of – she's there. She's happy. Right. But she's drugged up. Well, so we go, right after Christmas, we go for, like, a neurological exam with this guy that is, I mean, king dangling. He's got every accolade and every license and every everything under the world. I mean, he's supposed to be the guy. And so he's like, you're not giving her enough. And Karen just says right there, check it out, homie. We're not giving her anymore, and we're not giving her this. Yeah. And so they get into it like a, I mean, they are, they are, nose to nose like mm-hmm. raising their voices and my wife just said look check it out i'm her mother <laughs> so right. you know yeah. you can piss up a rope basically yeah. and so he's like well you know there's this other drug the da 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 tegretol and he's like you know it doesn't there's no known side effects the problem is is that we have to 
we not we're not sure the dosage wise what it does to yeah, the liver titrate error. Yeah, so right. So there's yeah. a thing, but there, the thing is the trade off is is much different. Mm-hmm. I'm only telling you this so I can tell you we wean her off the phenobarb, get her on the tegretol. Within two weeks, she's standing up, holding her bottle, trying to talk. Nice. I mean, you know. And long story short, four years later, four years? No, I lo- I changed dealerships. I changed insurance. We can't go to this doctor anymore. He wants us to pay out of pocket. Neurological stuff out of oh, your pocket yeah, no, is yeah, not affordable. Yeah. So we don't go to his office anymore. About six months later, on the news, the dude kicks kicks the leaves, goes to Syria. We're still involved today, today, in a class action lawsuit where the 140 children were misdiagnosed. Uh, out of all of the families he was treating, he had one family that had eight children. Eight. All of them had epilepsy. None of them did. And the way they found out about it was when he absconded to Syria, the University of Michigan took over all of his all the cases. treatment, all mm-hmm. of his cases, and they were going through, and there's like, no, no, there's no. there's nothing in here. There's yeah. nothing in here. And in Michigan, in order to bring up a malpractice suit, you have to have a doctor that will go down that road with you. Right, yeah. And so this doctor at the University of Michigan, we found out about it on the news. Yeah. And we're still involved in that. I was, I mean, you're talking about, you know, your kid being overdrugged, man. And, and we, I'd mentioned when we were walking through the shop, you know, that there was a, this block of time that right. is just like, it's a lot of gray and it's not light gray. It's dark gray. There's a lot of things I don't remember from, you know, when, when they started treating, you know, treating me until they finally got me to a good place. And I was on a, on a drug, um, that was, you know, very similar. I feel like I was just doped all the time and you can, you know, talk to my wife and she's just like, yeah, you're good for, you know, other than just sitting on the couch and, you know, getting up, I was worthless. I couldn't drive. Well, number one, I couldn't drive because of epilepsy. Um, but yeah, this, this medication they had me on for, for quite a while. And it, it was kind of one of those, well, we don't know what's going on, but this, this is kind of a fix all, you know, this, this, yeah, this, this works for, levels you out. yeah, this, this works for this, it works for that. And, and I was on that medication for quite a while and, and a very high dosage until, uh, I did some, some lab work and they found out that my, my endocrinologist freaked out because he was like, you need to stop taking that right now because you're going to have liver failure within the next month. And oh. yeah. And I was like, okay. Or I was yeah, like, All right. cause the dosage was so high and it was just, it was wreaking it, uh, wreaking havoc on my body. And when I came off that medication, you know, they were like, all right, well, you know, to control these seizures, we need to have you on something. So, you know, I went through that path of trying to figure out drugs, you know, and, you know, having seizures and, you know, figuring it out. And I finally got to this medication I'm taking now, man. And I'm like, don't change it. I feel like a normal person. I feel like I can conduct life. I, I, I feel like I can make it from the motorcycle saying, hey, I need a half inch wrench to my toolbox remembering a half that I needed a half inch wrench. So it's it's been nice to kind of be able to make that development back to where I'm okay to go out to the garage and work on something without forgetting that I, you know, left the circlip off on the piston when I put that. <laughs> left the tea kettle on. Yeah. Or, so yeah, do just, you, so are you, are you able to ride? I, I am able to ride, um, and, and but I don't. I, I'm I'm careful. Okay. Like I'm I'm super. My last seizure was July of last year. I'm fixing to roll in a year, man. I'm like super stoked about it. Um, but really, I think the riding portion has kind of taken a backseat to uh, the building portion. That's such an important thing about this yeah. community that we're in. That I I I. I I fail to convey that message properly. Um, mm-hmm. I have com- conversations with people all the time, 
uh, namely Jace from the Fast Life Garage. That guy is a rider. Mm-hmm. Ride, 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 ride. Don't own a trailer. Bike's never been on a trailer. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm like, look, this industry is a community. Mm-hmm. This community has room for everybody in it, right. or it should. Right. I at least try to make sure that it does. Um, and what I really, really enjoy is the process. Yeah, that's me, man. I, I enjoy the it. events. Yeah. I love going to Sturgis. Mm-hmm. I love never I mean, been. You know, that's a, that's that's something that I like doing every year, Yeah, you know? And so I'm not going to, if I have 10 days, I'm not going to ride four days to Sturgis, stay in Sturgis for two days days, and then ride ride four days back. Yeah, I'm going to get my happy ass in the truck, sit in the air conditioning on my iPad, take my turn driving, get there in a day and a half. So you can ride the bike when you get get there there. in a day and a half, two days, whatever, whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And then enjoy my friends in the community that I don't get to see because yeah. I have friends that live in Rochester, Minnesota. I have my, one of my best friends lives in Abilene. Another one of my best friends lives in the UK. Um, one of my best friends lives in Jacksonville, but when we're in Sturgis, we're together. Right. Right. It's and so there's room for everybody in what we're doing and you building and it's, it's, it's no less of a passion play is what I'm getting to. Mm-hmm. And so you're able to do what, you're contributing at a very high level is what I'm getting at. Just because you're not grinding and riding and, you know, I mean, uh-huh. I, 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 I like the art of it too. Yeah. Motorcycles is art. It's a, it's a wonderful that's, thing. That's it for me. And, and, you know, and living here in Florida makes it very difficult to be, and to me, for at least for me, to be an avid rider because it's hot as crap outside. Yeah, it's un- By the time you get a helmet and gloves and a jacket, because I'm not one of those guys that wear, you know, a, a Pair of uh, shorts and flip flops and jump. On I don't the wear flip flops, but I do wear shorts and a t-shirt. I, I wear a full face. I will if I'm this riding. This is my money maker right here. <laughs> I got you, but yeah, no, man. I think uh, to me, it's been. I I love the lines of motorcycles, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's you know, and it's getting a bad stigma nowadays. Whether it's a you know a big wheel bagger or a fat tired chopper, you know, it's kind of like I like women. I like them all. Yeah, I'm a chopper guy. If the lines are right. If that that's me, I'm like it's all about the the lines, the look of the bike. Uh, whether it could be a, a digger or a '70s child, it would be something you know. Even like what Eric's doing at FNA with these, you know, these super raked out, high backbone, crazy builds. You know, it's like I appreciate all of it. I, I really His shop used to be right there across the street. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've talked to him a little bit. We, matter of fact, his uncle is who painted my bike, painted the one for oh, okay. Free. Nice. And, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I love motor. I love the design of them. I, I mean, it's, it's amazing to be able to look and see, I, I, it's just like culture. Everybody's different, man. And, and everybody's motorcycles are different. You know, they, they make them to, to what they are. I mean, not to say that I haven't seen some pretty, eh, I, you know, like some bad engineering, some, some, some janky work or stuff, but you know, I, it just kind of as a, you know, a reflection of who the person is that has it. And, and I think with me, I, you know, I am in a niche market. Uh, I love British bikes, you know, BSAs, Norton's triumphs, AJS, um, Vincent's just all the British markets kind of like, I really kind of glean to that. And I really like vintage motorcycles, but that doesn't mean I don't appreciate a new motorcycle. Cause I know the machinist side of me knows the engineering that it takes to, to get, get to where. Yeah. And I mean, mm. some of these guys that are, you know, I, I 
throughout this time for getting ready for Born Free, Mike Davis this year, the invited builders that he has coming, man. Some of these designs these guys are doing is just blowing my mind. They break my they break my brain. Yes, this guy that's uh, Hawk um, Hawk up in uh, the Pacific Northwest there that did the the uh, open shovelhead last year. Oh yes, no, yeah, ridiculous. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Um, and if I remembered, I'd probably butcher it anyway. He's building this trike, but it's a three-wheel drive trike, front-wheel drive on this trike, and it's chain-driven. I'm like, this is crazy, these these things these guys are coming up with, these designs. And I'm like, you know, we look at, you know, what uh, Mark Drew did a few years ago with that pre-unit Triumph that had the acrylic tank. You know, like mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, you know, Ah, it's just a trailer queen. No, you get out and ride that thing. I mean, he's I not going to... shit? Like, yeah. I'm just going to be real honest with yeah, exactly. you right now and tell you, I don't give a shit. Yeah, no. I mean, but the design that comes in, I was like, he literally said, you know what? I'm going to ride this bike just to shut all you guys up. I mean, you can't ride it very long. It only held probably a quarter of a tank of gas, but it worked. And if I think works, that's the biggest thing. And it makes you know? the guy happy. You know, part of what works is making somebody happy. Yeah. A part, good, a good, good friend that I've met through all of this is... Uh, uh, Tom Heavy, and uh, he was um, at Born Free last year. He, he had the uh, the fully chromed out frame Triumph pre unit Triumph with the 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 blue uh, blue and silver kind of paint job. This guy he wasn't an invited builder. Um, something happened with one of the invited builders. They weren't going to make the timeline, and 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 Mike called him up at the last minute and say, Hey, I seen your stuff on the the build, well builder build off thing that they were doing. Uh, would you be willing to bring the bike out to Born Free? He brought the bike out to Born Free, and he ended up uh, getting selected to go to Yokohama. And it just That's a walk-on the, thing, you yeah. know, that, that happened. How about and, that? And the, the guy's he's very similar to me, just works on it out of his garage, doing what he – building something that he wants to build, that he right. appreciates. And, you know, mine mine is different. It's a replica bike, you know, being, you know. I that's, think that's clever. Do you have the original Easy Rider that it, that it was in? I do. It was. What, uh, what year month is it? So it was actually, uh, it was uh, July of 1983, but it was in Easy Rider Syndicate magazine, Iron Horse. Um, and oh, so it was in Iron Horse, not in Easy Rider. Yes, but Easy Rider owned Iron Horse. At the time. Yeah, at the time. Because right now, Iron Horse is owned by a lady named Chanel, who used to own the Horseback Street Choppers. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, I have did all the research, and I've actually uh, talked via email with Jackie Mann, David Mann's uh, wife, and, and letting her know what, we're, what I'm doing and building this bike and how I want to honor David Mann's legacy because throughout the whole time he only painted two triumphs. The very first one was his very first painting he ever painted, which was Hollywood Run, that was bought by Ed Roth. Ed Roth brought it to the guys at Easy Rider, like, you gotta check out this guy's artwork. And they that started the relationship between David Mann and Easy Rider. So that first triumph was in that first painting, and then this one, that's the only two triumphs he ever painted. And kind of on a down low, I'm going to build the other one, the very first one that he painted, too. So. It's not going to be on the down low anymore. Yeah, I know. It's out there. There's a few There's, yeah. a, few, there's a few. people that, that yeah. kind of know. So, yeah, look up that, that picture of uh, Hollywood, Hill, or Hollywood Run. Uh, it's about the fourth motorcycle back in the stack. Um, it's, it's his very first painting, so it's not as detailed as his, his uh, later stuff. 
So there's a little bit more left open for I was interpretation. Just say, so there's to be some room for interpretation. Yeah, there. which is great because building this bike, he did such a great job painting it. There was no room for interpretation, and which made it really difficult sourcing a lot of those super rare parts. I mean, the top triple tree clamp that I bought. I yeah, I, I looked. I was looking at that on your Insta oh feed. Gosh, dude, it that. I had to get that thing from England, and it was only on the racing models. I'm like, David, why did you put this into painting? It doesn't yeah. make so That's I paid. Why. I paid 250 bucks just for this top clamp. See, they would call it 250 used, quid. Yeah, and old, used, rusty, and then I had to go take it to the chrome shop and have it chromed on top. Are of Are you that. using so somebody in Tampa for chrome? I am. Is it the one off of Nebraska there, uh, uh, or off he's of Hillsboro? He's off of Drew uh, in Drew Park, over by the by the stadium. But he's a he's yeah. a two man shop. He doesn't promote. He's he's kind of he does a lot more industrial metal um, refinishers. Is that the name of it? Yeah. If we can cut this off, yeah. I'm not, I'm not too I'm not too happy with some of his work. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. We'll just <laughs> blank that off. But, I, I mean, probably won't, but it doesn't matter. Well, he won't I listen mean, to it anyway. Yeah. That's who did so, all the work on my Triumph, and it was marginal. Yes. Marginal is what I so say. If you do marginal the, work, you're getting I mean, the, you did. Well, the, the situation I was in is uh, because I found out about Born Free in November, and the original Born Free date was June 26th, which sure. is you know, coming up coming in a up few soon. weeks. So I was on a timeline, and I was like, I was like, all right, well, I don't have the time to get over to, you know, over to Space Coast to, to have some quality work done. And plus, I knew their timeline was going to be long anyway. Yes. So I was like, all right, well, let me see what I've got here local. And that's what I had local. And some, I mean. Listen, I'm just going to tell you for real, for real, the Chrome, that if you go go get it. I bought a bike one time. I bought a bike that was built by Tony Carlini in 1968. Mm-hmm. Okay. It had been parked since 1974. I bought it in 2004. I paid $1,000 for it mm-hmm. to restore it. The chrome wasn't that great on it anyways. I mean, even the good chrome, you know, the stuff that was – these bikes have a soul to them. Right. And if you're going to put any kind of soul on chrome, it needs to have some imperfections. Yeah. No, and and so, I mean, I'm not looking for perfect. There's no, there's no imperfections in his stuff. Uh, it was just mostly the finishing work, like – like come back with water spots and things like i'm like come on dude i'm like how much is it just to rinse it good you know i'm like i'm like it is what it is i mean chrome's expensive and 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 that is a huge chunk of the investment that i have in on this bike is is the chrome um but you know i'm i'm excited about it it's 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 an amazing bike there's no i mean there's no qualms about the bike is phenomenal i built a bike for uh uh Roland Sands just did this thing called the Coronavirus Biker Build Off, okay, and uh, or Bike Build Off, and uh, and so I had this other 1952 Triumph Thunderbird sitting in my garage for a few years, and um, and I was like, you know what, I'm gonna take this challenge, but I'm gonna I'm gonna one up you, I'm gonna I'm going to say, yeah, this is the coronavirus, you know, whatever <laughs> quarantine, I was like, but I'm gonna look at it like it's the apocalypse. The internet doesn't work. Your money's not worth anything. You can't order parts. You use what you got, what you got in the garage. So you make it happen. And uh, so I took this bike. I said, I'm not going to spend a dime on this motorcycle. I'm going to use what I have in the garage. And uh, I've had this bike for a few years. Um, I bought it off of an old biker's back porch. It sat there for 10 years. And before that, it was sitting in a shop for 30 years. Uh, it was a frame, a front end and the bottom end of the motor and no cylinders on this thing. And it's been sitting for a good 
50 years with just junk accumulating in the bottom. So I said, I'll take your challenge without even thinking about, oh, crap, what does the bottom end of this motor look like? I'm like, do I have the stuff to fix it? Man, I split that thing open. It was horrible. I'm like, this is one thing you should never build. I'm like, this would be just, all right, well, the cases are okay, but the crank was shot. Yeah. And, uh, man, I just said, you know what? I already put my, I already put it out there. Put your foot in your mouth. Uh, yeah, I'm like, let's see what we could do. So, man, I had to pull that thing apart, and it was it was horrible. There's a lot of stuff on my Instagram where you can see the pictures of just how bad it was, and uh, I I just happened to have a I had a top end to put in there, but I was like, you know what? I can't go to a machine shop. I can't have a board back out. Let me just, you have to berry brush it. Let me let me figure this out. You know, I was like, do I have a set of rings? I was like, okay, let me let me go through all of this stuff, and and. Uh, yeah, I, and these old Triumphs, man, especially in the 50s, um, they don't have shell bearings on the crank. So you literally, you have your rod, which your rod is aluminum, yeah. and then you have your cap, which is cast steel, and uh, and it rides on the journal of the crank. Um, well, on the cast side of the cap, they have impregnated white metal. So that's basically your that's surface. Your yeah, it's your bearing. Well, it was so far out of spec, dude. It was it was horrible, and I'm like, well, I can't buy you know I can't buy any parts. How do I do this? So I just got online. I'm like, started doing research what people used to do. Like, what did the guy back in the 50s and 60s do when he, this came around? Majority of guys were putting unit cranks in them, you know, putting later sure. model cranks. Well, I found this thing from. It was in the fifties, man. It's old, you know. I honestly can't wait to hear what's going to come out of your mouth. What are they using, like soap or something weird? No. So you take the you take the um, uh, the cap, and you sand the surface between where the cap and the rod meet, so it closes that diameter. Now, you know, us machinists and thinking you're like, oh, all of a sudden now that's oblong. So, but that's what they did, man. And yeah, I was that's like, "That's how you do it. That's how you do a standard rod for a, yeah, a car." Yeah, yeah. If you're, but you, you know, machine it back out with a rod machine, which you didn't have in your garage. Yeah, no, don't have any of that stuff. So I just put it back together, man. I'm like, you know what? I don't have any money into this thing. I was like, if it runs, that's awesome. If not, whatever. I didn't did lose it, dude. I ride that thing like two or three times a week. It's a blast, and I'm like, you know, I, I it's rusty, it's old, it's crusty. Um, you know, it leaks. It's but you it know what? Leaks. Of I'm course, like, it does. It's a British bike. It's gonna leak. You know, my but uncle. That's I have the, the most fun because I didn't put a dime. And I, I like I laugh about it. I was like, man, I've built motorcycles and spent thousands and thousands of dollars building them. And I was like, can I put zero into this thing? And it has the old Dunlop dry rotted tire still on it. And I will ride that. I don't care. I'm like, I have a blowout, whatever. Right? Yeah. Just kind of keep it between the lanes. Yeah, well, oh, I, I don't. I mean, like I said, I'm not really a rider. You know, I'll jump on it, ride around the neighborhood. I'll ride it up to the brewery, have a beer, you know, and drive back. And um, but yeah, I, I'm not gonna get it. I, I'm I'm not dumb enough to get it out and ride it for hour or two I'm hours. Trying to find a picture of it here. Is it this blue one? Yep, the blue one. It's the Rainmaker. That's actually a very good looking motorcycle, isn't it? I, I'm I'm considering bringing it to Born it's Free. Very Fonzie. Yes. Well, yeah. Oh, well. You seen the old movie uh, with Marlon Brando, the Wild One, same year Triumph that he rode in the Wild One. Um, but yeah, I was, I'm considering bringing it out to Born Free uh, because it's a pre-unit, and it, he said it's open invite class. So I'm like, maybe some people want to check out an old crusty pre-unit that zero dollars went into building. Let's talk about, um, so you're going to Born Free. What's the date, the new dates for Born Free? Do you know what those are? So September, I believe it's 26th and 27th is okay. the, the new dates. So you're going to drive out there, take uh, two bikes? 
Did you take family? Yeah. Um, so that was the initial thing was we had set it up. It was going to be in the summer, you know, June. Yeah. We're like going to make a road trip, hit all the hot spots across. Uh, we've never done the cross country thing. Right. First west I've ever been was Yuma, Arizona. It's pretty um, far west. Yeah, and that's, that was in the military. So when I was like, I went out there for fun. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, we're going to go across, hit all the hot spots. Then on the way back, do the uh, Grand Canyon, the Salt Flats, and go to Denver. Just kind of, we were, had like a two week trip planned out for it. Now it's kind of changed a little bit because Corona. Sure. Um, the kids may uh, may be in school. If the kids aren't in school, we're going to keep with the same plan. Um, but if the kids are in school, my brother, um, which is out of Tennessee, he's going to come down. He, we're going to drove cross country with it and. You know, so we got a bunch of things coming up. That that bike's gonna see a lot of shows actually over the fall. Uh, we're gonna do. Go ahead. You need to come to the Wheels of Steel show December fifth and sixth here in downtown Lakeland. That is an indoor show. If it's an invite, I'm coming. Yeah, I'd love to have you there. And, and here's the here's the best part. So we put that show together last year. Um, was our first year. Uh, Geico's our title sponsor. Um, we're. I, we're in the we've got some some other people that have signed on but haven't like you know signed up really yeah i can't announce them but um man i would love to have both of your bikes there i'd, I'd actually okay. like to have a conversation with you and we can do that off air about the forgotten angels because ours is for the polk county early learning coalition oh, cool. and that 501c3 um makes sure that all students in polk county get free voluntary pre-k there's a nursing program for unwed mothers that will actually go from while the child is in utero all the way to from birth to, to five years old wow. to make sure they have like a a nurse mentor. I mean, they went and called on um, the story that, that jerks in my heartstrings the most is they went and visited uh, an unwed mother who was living in one of those metal sheds that you buy at Sears and bolt mm. together. Mm. So... Um, that's a good, you know, we're, we're raising money for that charity locally, but I would love to see, you know, what we can put together between Weems Motor Co. And, uh, you know, bring, kind of bring you guys into the fold on that, the Forgotten Angels and see if there's Absolutely. some, something we can do there. Cause mm -hmm. so how are, how are they, um, First, you're going to give the bike away. When are you going to do that? What's your plan for so, that? So the plan is, is uh, we got Born Free in September. Mm -hmm. um, going to that. Uh, in October, I've submitted to go to uh, the congregation up in North Carolina. Okay. Um, November is the hand-built show in Austin, Austin. Texas. Um, December, I've kind of fluctuating back and forth um, that they have Chopper Fest, which is the David Mann Man show. Chopper Fest. Uh, and I think that's probably the place that that bike needs to be since it's a David Mann replica. Obviously. Makes, Where's that at? Uh, it's in Ventura, California. Okay. So that's the only challenge is like making two trips to California, you know, cross country. I'm not a, I'm not a ship kind of guy. I'll like, I'd rather put it in the trailer and yeah, go myself. Yep. Uh, I have that advantage because I am retired, um, work part time for the church, but, um, yeah, so, so that's December. I mean, love to come over for you guys in Lakeland, have the bike out there. Because really, at this point, it's not it's not promoting me. I could care less. No, about I get that. What I, I get do. that. But it's a, um, it's a neat bike. Yeah, you know? I, I love people to see it, hear the story about it. But it's not about promoting me because I could care less if I'm building motorcycles for anybody else. Because I'm going to build motorcycles for me. Um, but I want to promote Forgotten Angels, get as as much information out there that we can do for them. So um, that's. 
uh, December, January, Chopperama over in Tampa. And then the final deal is uh, in March at Daytona Bike Week um, is when we're going to do the raffle, the final raffle. You're doing it at so, Willie's? What is that? You're going to do it at Willie's? Uh, I'm still working with a couple people to figure out exactly where we because they do have a couple shows that are featured there. So, uh, so I'd like to have it at a show so more people can see it. Um, but we're going to launch the raffle uh, at Born Free. That's when we're going to start selling the tickets there. And you'll be able to buy the tickets uh, online. You don't have to buy them in person or anything like that. Um, and we're still talking about, you know, first place, second place, third place, because, sure. you know, we want people to, you know, be appreciated. They're investing into this, you know, whether you buy, you know, one raffle ticket or you buy 10 raffle tickets, we want, you know, you to be able to walk away at least with something uh, as much as possible. But the biggest thing is raising that money for that, that organization to get those kids, um, you know, get them more housing because they want to bring right now they have 16 um, 16 kids on, I call them kids, they're young men. I know. Uh, they have 16 on their property right now, and they want to bring in up to 25. So I want to be able to support that. Yeah, and uh, how can we find out more about Forgotten Angels? Where I mean, where can we find that out at? So uh, you can go to www.forgottenangelsflorida.org. Um, that's their website. Um, one of their biggest national spokesmen is uh, Quentin Aaron. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Blind Side, um, yep. he was the uh, he was the the young kid, well, young kid, big big dude, played football in the in the show with, uh, um, and so he's one of their national spokesmen. He has a really um, uh, a really great organization against bullying, but he's partnered with Forgotten Angels and uh, helps promote that. He's going to be with us out at Born Free. He's coming out there to help promote the bike and everything there. So, very cool, very cool. Well. Hey man, I appreciate you coming over and doing this. I know that it's, it's I'm on the other side of town, but uh, I could sit here and talk to you for hours. There's in just in the conversation that we've just had, I've, I've come up with ten more things that I want to talk to you about, and we'll probably have to do this again at another point in time. But um, definitely keep in touch with me, and, and you know, and, and we'll we'll get you back on here when it's. I'd like to actually maybe have somebody from Forgotten Angels come in. Sure. Um, go follow follow uh, Jared Jared Weems at Weems Motorco Tampa on Instagram. And check out that uh, David Mann Triumph that he is going to be giving away. It's going to be at Born Free. If you follow Born Free, which most of you I know do, you'll you'll end up seeing it in their feed too. So thanks very much, man. I appreciate you coming out. Thanks for having me over, brother. You have been listening to the Power Wheels Podcast with your host, Jason Holman. Thank you for listening. 